in this week's episode of ND Vision. <laughs> and I think part of it, them wanting to go into funeral directing, is the fact that when you say, I'm a funeral director, you get that pause being like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're around bodies all yeah. the time. Yeah. There was this trend of blending them and putting them in food products. Huh? Yep. Are you serious? I'm serious. No, if you look it up, people used to eat mummies. Oh, so- why? Hello and welcome to this week's episode of ND Vision. I'm joined here with Bella, who is the director at John Emser Funeral Homes, uh, one of the funeral directors. Uh, and I am so curious about what you do and what made you decide this career path um, to where you're at today. But first, give me a little history on yourself. Okay. Um, born and raised in Wellsville. Okay. And then I went to SUNY Canton. For funeral service administration. So what what made you want to get into funeral service? Okay, so I love science, mm-hmm. and I wanted to help people. I don't want to be a doctor. I could not be a nurse. I, I could not do it. You're doing the exact opposite. Of, yeah. Of, well, not yeah. necessarily opposite. But, yeah, no. Um, And so then we did the fetal pig dissection lab in 10th grade. Okay. And everybody's like, it smells so and we're like just so grossed out and I was like guys it doesn't smell that bad yeah. and I was like okay so obviously I'm cool with this I want to help people science don't want to go into the medical field funeral director yeah like it all just clicked and then I was like okay yeah this is what I'm gonna do now so, so did you I mean well, <laughs> well first of all how old are you 24 24 for the next couple of weeks <laughs> and, and the only reason I ask is because you know you're young and and, and that's not really a profession that you would think that a young woman would want to get into, you know, right out of right out of school. Mm-hmm. So it was really just the embalming of the of the pig. That I mean, it was more so wanting to help people right. and like not necessarily knowing how I wanted to do that. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that like the formaldehyde didn't bug me okay. and like the macabreness of it didn't bug me. Like right. And so then I was like, okay. I started thinking, I went and talked to my guidance counselor, and I was like, okay, so I'm kind of thinking, funeral director, how do you do that? Yeah. And then so she had like this massive wall of books, pulls down this one. She's like, okay, let's look up the major. And then um, surprisingly, SUNY Canton didn't come up in any of my searches for really? months until somebody at my church was just like, hey, Bella, have you, have you considered SUNY Canton? And I said, well, why would I do that? They're six hours away. Mm-hmm. They don't have my major. And, and for, uh, for those who don't know, what state is SUNY Canton in? It's in New York. It's in New York? It's a SUNY, yeah. Okay. How and far it's, away? <laughs> it's up near Potsdam. So it's like... Oh, wow. Technically, GPS says 445. Mm-hmm. It's six hours. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what 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 was the, what is that major called? Is it just... Funeral Service Administration now. Um, some people still call it Mortsai, but the thing about Canton is that they have the business degree and also the science degree combined into one to become a technology degree. Okay. So I technically have a bachelor's in technology. Oh. Yeah. This is so interesting. So I'm gonna <laughs> I'm not I'm gonna be 100 honest. I purposefully like stopped myself from looking everything up about funeral homes and funeral directing mm-hmm. and embalming bodies and all that because <laughs> I want to I want to be ignorant and ask questions that I think that the people listening would would okay. want to ask. Yeah. So I might ask some stupid questions. There's no such thing as a stupid <laughs> But I am very curious about it because yeah. I mean people have been doing it uh like for instance the most popular is the Egyptians, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what like a lot of people think too. And actually there's like a massive like push, well not push, but in people in majors and stuff, you always see like onks everywhere or like Anubis. Um, I mean, so SUNY Canton's mascot is Rue, the kangaroo. Okay. And so for the Mort Psy Club, the mascot is Renubis, which is Rue dressed as Anubis. Okay. So obviously like the Egyptians, like the motifs and all that play a huge part in like the aesthetic of. Funeral directing? Yeah, yeah to some extent. <laughs> more so like the the clubs and stuff that are associated with it often do have some type of Egyptian motif with it. So wh- who were the kind of students that you went to school with that were like in this major along with you? Um, There was a big mix. I mean, the majority of the major now is female. 
Really? Yeah. And okay. there's a lot more first generation people than there ever used to be. Um, and you could see like the different camps. Like there was the people who I could definitely see being very good at piano directing. Mm-hmm. Then there's the group that I don't, it, they, it's like they hit that wall of like between middle school and high school where it's just like the maturity wise where it's like, okay, I'm a nerd. I have to prove to everybody that I am the nerdiest nerd to prove that I am in fact a nerd. And it's okay. just like, <laughs> chill. And I think part of it, them wanting to go into funeral directing is the fact that when you say I'm a funeral director, you get that pause being like, okay. <laughs> You're around bodies all yeah, the time. Or I, just this last weekend, it was, I had mentioned that I was a funeral director and people went, you're a funeral director? And the girl across the room went, why would you want to do that? And yeah. I was like, okay, you know what? That's like, <laughs> I'm all for the questions. I'm perfectly fine answering, but don't be rude about it. Right. That's, that's all I ask. Like the whole like, why would you want to do that? It's like, okay, why do you want to do anything you want to do? <laughs> My question is more, why would you want to do that? Like, yeah, no, I'm that's excited excited. About- That's like, <laughs> that's actual question and that's not like, being like, oh, like if you're going to come into it, like being grossed out, yeah, like I, anything I'm going to say is just going to make you go, huh? Grosser, er, er. Yeah. I'm very, very curious <laughs> about what you do. And also, I just wanted to know why, what the mindset was of getting into it. But if you love science and you're not weirded out by yeah. dissecting things, you know, I guess that would be a pretty natural thing to roll over into. Um, and also wanting to help people and you're not necessarily helping the Patient, person, patient, patient. What do you? Client, um, individuals. Okay. I mean, I, you're, help, you're helping the family. Yes, that because right? uh, in reality, yes, there is the deceased, mm-hmm. but the people we are helping interacting with deceased. That's yes. what we'll call them from now on. Okay, so th- there's the deceased, which yep. obviously yes is the primary focus, mm-hmm. but in all reality, the people who are actually helping are the families. Yeah. And they're the people who we're signing contracts with. They're the people who we're guiding through this process. Mm-hmm. And the also the big thing is the the whole point of funeral directing in a lot of funeral directors' minds is that memory picture. Right. So basically providing that last moment where you can just say, they look at peace. Yep. They're okay. Like but also the seeing the person as a deceased and the psychological benefits of being like, okay, this is real. Yeah. As opposed to some people who are like, I don't want to see, I don't no, 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 no. It's like Yes, death sucks. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to lose a loved one. But death isn't death is inevitable, right? And it's 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 going to happen. And you can see as different medical uh, advancements have happened, how we have started to ag- avoid death and ignore it in culture, even though our society is pretty obsessed with death. Like, right. if I were to say, okay, name three different ways of saying death, dying, any of it. You can come up with how many things, like kick the bucket. Yeah. Um, pushing up daisies, croaked. Like, pushing up daisies. I haven't yes. heard that in forever. Yeah, and so there, there's all, <laughs> <laughs> all these different ways to say somebody has died. And so like our society is weirdly obsessed with death, but also doesn't want to talk about it mm-hmm. because nobody wants to like acknowledge their own mortality. And how, and how, how, what made you so calm with it? Like, so going back to college, explain okay. to me some of the, the classes that, so you mentioned that it's, it's all mainly women. And when I think mm-hmm. funeral directors, at least in our area, it's all men. Yes. Um, what, what, what is the mindset there? And are there, are there history classes that you go through? Like, did you learn about, you know, the ancient Egyptian stylings just as like, just as a, a class that you could take? Was it mentioned at all or? Um, cause again, I'm so sorry for my ignorance, but no. that's what I think of when I think of, you know, embalming bodies and wrapping mm-hmm. them and everything. And then, uh, and we're definitely going to go into, I do want to ask you about like the process, Okay, but yeah, no, I'm... right now the, the education aspect of it, like walk me through that a little more in depth. Okay. So, um, I went a little out of order because not only did I end up being a second semester sophomore because I took enough college courses in high school that like overachiever. but then I also did a semester abroad in England oh so I like okay so I got to Canton and my very first semester they want you to get more of your gen eds out of the way Mm -hmm. um so like I had to take bio 150 well technically I only had to take bio 101 but I took 150 just because biology I I like bio 
And then there was a whole genetics unit in that class. And genetics is my jam. Like Punnett squares, I could do those all day. Okay. I find them way too fun. What's a Punnett square? Okay, so you know how it's, um, so it's, it's literally a square that's been divided into four. And it's the recessive and the, recessive and the, I know, dominant genes. There we go. Okay. Sorry. And then, um, so crossing, like, for example, brown hair is dominant, but just because somebody has the phenotype brown hair does not mean that they don't carry the recessive gene for blonde hair. Okay. And so they could be like big B for brunette, little B for carrying blonde. And then their partner could be the same. And so like, obviously if the two large Bs line up, then that child is going to have brown hair, only be able to have children with brown hair. And then if the big B, little B, it's like, okay, they could have brown hair, but they'll be a carrier for blonde. But when the two little Bs line up, that kid's going to be blonde. So it's basically huh. just a way to track the um, phenotype versus, which is the way that you your genes are expressed or your phenotype. So it's the phenotype versus recessive carrier. So this um, is this is all part of genealogy, though. Why didn't you become a genealogist? I don't, I mean, no, I just, I, 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 I'm just I, curious. I, I, like, I mean, I, get, I don't know how much of like, genealogy would actually do with Punnett squares. Okay. I mean, it was actually really funny. So um, my bio professor was my dean. Yep. And he literally went to my advisor, I think halfway through the semester, and he's like, what is she doing in your major? <laughs> like, why is she just, Why is she in your major? And yeah. I was like, well, because I want to be a funeral director. Right. Granted, I geek out about genetics. That is that. <laughs> <laughs> um. So you're taking these classes. Mm-hmm. Was there a history class that you had yes. to take on? So that was, we called it study of fun. Okay. Study of funerals. Um, that's one of those like 101s that like anybody can take just to fill up their schedule. But the funeral students have to take it. So we go all the way through like this is what the Egyptians did. Because what most people don't realize is mummies were basically buried in sand to like draw out the moisture. Yeah. And there used to be a lot more mummies. But in the 1920s, um, there was this trend of blending them and putting them in food products. Huh? Yep. Are you serious? I'm serious. No, if you look it up, people used to eat mummies. Oh, so, why? Because Fountain of Youth ideology, I don't oh, know. like they think that they have that person's strength and stuff or they make them even, younger? Not even that, but it's just, I can't, re- I don't remember what the reasoning was, but in the 1920s, yeah, like the majority of mummies were eaten by the general population. Coming to soon to a shelf near you, uh, <laughs> mummy tea. All the mummy tea that you need mm-hmm. as you're drinking tea. <laughs> yes. That's serious, though. Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, Asian cultures are very specific about how they deal with their deceased, too, right? I mean, y- yes. I don't, I'm not really well versed in that as okay. well. Um, because, like, when you start, most. It's not necessarily a cultural thing, but more of a religious thing. Okay. So, like, across the different religions, and obviously, like, in Asian cultures, there's going to be more of a lean towards the, like, Buddhist yep. and um, Benahai. I know that that's more of, like, an obscure one, according uh-huh. to the textbooks, but that's because we're Western culture and not. Right. Um, but I'm not as well-versed and in then all of that. In India, they just push them out into the water, right? Into that river. I don't know. If I'm honest. Really? Yeah, no, because, I mean, it would have been interesting to see. And I do have a textbook that is like, you can flip through and be like, okay, Greek Orthodox, Roman Catholic, Lutheran. And then like, and then if you start flipping towards the back, it's like Jehovah's Witness. And because they have a whole, and more so the Mormons, which I know Mormons and Jehovah's Witness are not the same thing. But like the Mormons have a huge, like, if they're fundamentalist Mormon and have like, and are, have the the temples that only people who have been baptized into the Mormon church are allowed to enter. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then, like, Amish and have their whole, whole thing because they want to just keep it home. Like, they definitely go back to the, like, the 1800s perspective where it's, like, older generations, multi-generational homes. You die in the home. The children see that people, that life comes to a conclusion. The funeral director might come in and do some prep work, but it's mostly... We're just going to wash them, bury them in their burial outfit, which for them is their day-to-day clothing. Sure. And then keep them at home during this process and then have them buried. Wow. So they don't even come to you then? No. I mean, technically everybody has to um, to some extent so that way we can – because you 
when somebody dies, you have to have a funeral director. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Oh, you nice. have to have a funeral director because we have to file the death certificate. Like right. th- that's not an option to not have the funeral home involved. Okay. Would. Yeah, because they have to. They have to. I think it's mandatory for for Amish citizens to go to the hospital when they give birth now. Oh, is it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's mandatory that they have okay. to go there for at least a day or two. I mean, it's probably. I could be wrong, so don't quote me on this, but I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, okay, so going back into to uh, college, so you graduate, um, yes, and you're still very young. So you graduated. What brought you back home? To this area, and then how do you go about getting a job in funeral directing? Okay, so throughout the process of Canton, there's multiple steps. Like your first summer, you have to do your interim, which is five weeks of basically being an intern. Okay. Then during, there's technically, you're supposed to take a semester and do a practicum, which is eight to ten weeks of you working, like working your way up through. So a good thing that Canton does is they force you to work in the field while you're in the major. So that way, if you get through your practice, I'm going to say, I hated that. I never want to touch a funeral home again. Right. You know, before you graduate, whether you, you mesh with a funeral home or not. Okay. Um, and I don't mean like a specific funeral home. I'm just mean funeral homes in general. Right. Um, if you want to, if you want to pursue this. Further. Yes, exactly. Cause, um, I know that there's been a lot of majors in the past where it's just like, oh, well, you know, all this was in theory and like I made it all the way through and I got my degree and I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like, well, you're kind of stuck because, mm-hmm. you know, granted, like having a degree does not make you stay stuck in a field, but at the same time, student debt does. Yeah. So <laughs> Student debt. Oh, tell me about it. <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> yes. And uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So did you do both of your interning and your pra- practical, I'm guessing, at Practicum. At yeah, Emsers? at Emsers. Yes, I did. Okay. Um, Because it started off as like, I wasn't sure what funeral home, but I mean, I grew up down the street from John. Right. And then like, I I now live on East State, not to try, like, try locate myself, but like, yeah. I live on East State, Emsers is on West State. And so um, the director of my program, Dr. Pennepent, called and Walter happened to answer the phone and was like, well, I have a student who would like to to take her intern at your funeral home. Walter's like, well, where does she live? Here in Wellsville. Oh, okay. <laughs> what street does she live on? East State. Oh, well, I'm on West State, so send her our way. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> between knowing John basically my entire childhood as one of the spouses of a teacher at ICS. Mrs. Emser's husband. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, I didn't have Mrs. Emser. I oh, had Mrs. Really? Brown for first grade. Okay. And then she transferred up to fourth grade, and Mrs. Emser started that following year. All right. And, um, or at least in my, I don't, I don't know when she started at ICS. But that, in your mind. But I, in right. my, in my mind, I was like, okay, she started as the first grade teacher the following year when I went into second grade. Right. Um. Because I know that the Emsers have been heavily involved with ICS and Immaculate Conception for a very long time, so I don't want to invalidate anything before my recollection as a small child. So did you, before you did your internship and everything in college, did you um, did you work with bodies at all? Yes. Um, so they have Embalming Lab 1 okay. and then Embalming Lab 2, which is mandatory to attend every single one. They happen every week, um, granted on the weeks that you don't have a body. It's like okay, well, we're going to come in, we're going to fill out a, a faux death certificate so you guys can see what it's like. Where did um, they get the bodies? Upstate Medical. And these are real people? Yes, who have donated to science. Because here's the a little bit of a misconception about donating to science. Everybody thinks that they're going to be donated and then become like a, a research specimen or something. Right. In all reality. It sounds like it, that's what it is, though. Yes, um, but here's the thing. For those things like, oh, we're going to do medical research, they want young men, young, thin men type things. So if you are not fitting in with those parameters, they won't reject you, but they don't necessarily want to use you for what you, the general public conception is. So you can be sold to the military. For what? Test dummies. What? Yeah, there was a guy who his mother donated to science, and then there was a video that went around of a uh, of a crash, and he was watching. He's like, "That's my mother." No, is this yeah, real life? That right is now? real. Yes. 
hold on. So if you if you are a person who mm-hmm. is gracious enough to, and I imagine this would have to be in their last will and testament, right? That they want to donate their body to, to Not necessarily their last will and testament because by the time wills normally get probated, the person would be right long gone. So what do they have to do to, to say this? Or, or how, how you, does it happen? So you... You, and if you don't know the specifics, that's fine. We can. I do a little bit, okay. um, just because we just recently had somebody, and also people have called up and asked before. So if you go to different medical schools or different medical websites, like University of Rochester, um, I think University of Buff, not necessarily somewhere in Buffalo. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's University of Buffalo, but somewhere in Buffalo, and then you can go through their different pages and just type in. Uh, anatomical gift is the official way to say donating a body really yes and then there's forms that you can fill out you have to send to the school well in advance because sometimes people will call and say hey mom or dad is on hospice and i don't it's not looking good they want to donate to science and it's just like this is like at least a week-long process yeah um because there has to be signatures there has to be like you have to file this paperwork with the institution that you want to donate to okay well before you're on your deathbed because most of the time since it takes time to process paperwork if somebody's trying to do it on their deathbed then they die and the paperwork hasn't been processed and then it's like we're so sorry we weren't prepared yeah so you just have to have a normal burial yeah okay here's a question also if someone does want to donate because i'm trying to i'm trying to think of what some of the motivations not all but what Mm -hmm. some of the motivations would be to want to donate your body to science if they donate their body to science, does that alleviate the family of the deceased from having to pay for the funeral service and all that other stuff? Technically, no. So they would still have to... Well, so here's the thing. You don't have to pay for services that you don't have. Because now we're going back into the pre... So the FTC has this thing called the funeral rule, which was rolled out in the mid-80s. It was either 85 or 86. Okay. Because before that, because every state is what regulates their own funeral homes. Because we're, okay, we're going to have to jump back before the Kennedy assassination. Let's jump back. Yes. There was this woman, Jessica Midford, who took, wrote The American Way of Death. Okay. She took so many different statistics from all these different journals and spun them in a way that they're technically not false, but they're definitely very biased to say that funeral directors are taking advantage of you. They're just in it for the money. Look at the profit margins, which in all reality, most funeral homes do not have that great profit margin. Yes. The, the, cause you know, people are always dying to see you, but. (laughs) (laughs) That's the way you said it. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Um, but it's not, a lot of funeral homes aren't in this too. Like you don't don't go into funeral direct. Don't go into funeral directing if you want to make a lot of money. It's it's not about the money. Right. You're not going to have a massive profit margin. You're not going to be that person who's going out and being like, well, I just got a bonus and I'm buying a Bentley. No, that's not going to happen as a funeral director. Um, which, so she wrote this book that made it seem like funeral directors are just taking advantage of you. Mm-hmm. And because she spun the statistics to make it look very, like, predatory. Right. Granted, there are some not good people out there who end up becoming funeral directors who do try to make a huge profit margin because, well, people just don't have the choice. You have to go to a funeral home, and if I'm the only game in town, and it's like, right. it's the it's the big box store method of coming in, dropping all the prices, getting rid of the competition, and then spiking everything because people don't have a choice. Right. Um, but so she writes this book, people hate funeral directors. Um, cause it's not at the time it wasn't federally regulated. It was just by state. Okay. So good old New York state starts looking at it and going, Oh, we should probably address this because back in the day it used to be a lot of funeral directors used unit pricing, okay. which we would basically walk into the casket room, say, I like that casket. And it'd be like, okay, well that casket comes this service, this service, this service, and this service. And you would just pay the price. And it's like, okay, well, what if I don't want... Yeah, it's like, well, what if I don't want service B? Oh, well, it's included in the price. Huh. Yeah. So you were paying for services that sometimes you just didn't receive. So if somebody did a direct burial, they're still paying for the two to four, seven to nine calling hours, the service at church, and all this. And then graveside, if it... 
So that was unit pricing. It was like, oh, well, that is a little, you're, you're paying for services you don't receive and or you don't want, which is not okay. Right. And so then New York State was like, okay, let's start regulating this. And in the process of doing that, then the Kennedy assassination happened. And everybody's like, oh, like, it was obviously a huge tragedy for the country. Sure. And then in the way that that funeral home handled and the way that the the service for Kennedy was publicized, people were starting to lean back towards, okay, funeral directors aren't evil, evil humans. Right. Look at how they were, we were, like, Kennedy was able to be laid to rest with his family by his side and didn't look like he had, was missing part of his skull. Yeah. And, but that didn't stop the the government from thinking, hmm, we need to do something. So New York State puts out their regulations. And then the federal government was like, oh, we probably should finally uh, put some type of, like, federal regulation out there. So they took New York State's, watered some of them down a little bit, and then put out the funeral rule. Huh. Mm-hmm. So New York, all Is a little bit more strict, yes. All federal funeral regulations are based off of New York's original? Mostly, yes. Wow. I mean, some, and, like, the funeral is not that complicated. Right. Um, there's some disclosures we have to put on there basically saying, like, hey, if there is something on your bill that you did not select and you did not want, you don't have to pay for that. And if somebody's telling you you do have to pay for it because it's tying arrangements, so it's, oh, well, if you select this, you have to pay for that. Right. That is illegal. <laughs> so it's um, there's disclosures like that on there, and there's some New York State disclosures, and then there's some Federal Trade Commission disclosures that every disclosure has to be on the general price list mm-hmm. and or on the contract verbatim. Even though New York State and the Federal are different by two words, uh-huh. both have to be on there. Okay. Even though they're almost identical. That's super interesting. Good old New York State. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so moving forward to you did your internship. Obviously, you decided that you wanted to stay there mm-hmm. and they, they let you stay there. They hired you yes. on. Um, how what's described to me the process of after someone passes, how what happens then after someone passes? How does a how does the deceased get from hospital their house wherever they are to you okay so we're gonna go barring a corner situation yep because i mean there's not really much difference but if we get receive the call then we call and depending and say it's a hospice we're so sorry to hear about this um are you ready for us to be on our way or would you like a little bit more time? Um, Cause a lot of times it's, Oh, well a grandchild didn't get to make it in in time. So they would like to come and say goodbye in the home setting before having to come to the funeral home for that. Oh, okay. Which very big proponent of like, cause the whole, this is mis- another misconception that there's only one way to do a funeral. And it's just like, no, the whole point of this is to help every family individually with what they need. Yeah. So instead of saying, oh, well, there's only one way and it has to work for everybody. No. And there's a lot of ways to custom customize a funeral Yeah, and do what works for the family. It's just most people don't know that that's a possibility because they just assume the classic, okay, we're going to do calling hours two to four, seven to nine, and then we're going to go to a church and we're going to do a service and then we're going to go to the funeral home and then we end up at a luncheon just kind of staring at each other. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that way. It, like It's because... It's whatever the family needs. Mm-hmm. Granted, there is definitely a very beneficial psychological effect to seeing a deceased as a deceased. Right. But also at the same time, if they never wanted to be seen, they don't have to, like you don't have to put somebody on on, dis- on display. Right. Like you don't have to have calling hours with a deceased present. Like that is not mandatory. So, well, I'm sorry. So going back... Yes. How does someone get from let's say let's just say that someone passes away mm-hmm. at the hospital? Okay. Right. Um, so they're in hospice care at the hospital. They pass away. Um, you mentioned the coroner. Does the coroner have to come in and? Okay. So somebody dies at in the ER and have been there for less than twenty four hours. Yes. Then yes, the coroner has to be called in. Okay. Um, at least that's my understanding. Because um, tech. Uh, Technically, if somebody is a coroner case and the coroner takes possession, it is their job 
to deliver the deceased to the funeral home involved. Okay. Which most coroners are pretty good about, but then there's also some instances, since most coroners are also funeral directors, where it's a, hey, are you available? Oh, you're not available. Can I just come to your place and get them? Right. So, um, so if someone isn't there, if someone isn't in the ER, they mm-hmm. were expected to pass. Yes. And, and so pass. we get the call. We will go pick up the person and get them back to the funeral home. Mm-hmm. And normally when we're taking that first call, we like to gently ask, so are, are you leaning one way or another? Just so that way we know on our end so we can start preparing for anything that as, we need to do. As far as, as, cremation, far as cremation versus, versus traditional. Um, or like what I like to call this combos where they do a traditional that ends in cremation instead of a burial. Okay. Because um, that's also another option that most people don't realize that you don't have to bury somebody if you want the traditional service. It can be followed by cremation. Right. Like the all very viable, like it is whatever works best for you and your family. Okay. Now, do they, before you go pick them up when, mm-hmm. they're, in, when they're in the morgue of whatever hospital that they're in, is that when they take everything out or do you take everything out okay another misconception we don't take anything out you don't take anything no out. so the only time so that would be a medical examiner who does that it's trying to figure out why someone yes passed away so if, if they had to have a um autopsy a lot of people just call them posts because post-mortem yep examination um and there's different levels of autopsy there's the full they're going to open up the cranium they're gonna split the sternum, they're going to take out all the organs. Then there's the ones where, okay, we're just going to take a peek on the side, but we're not going to touch their head. Um, I haven't seen anywhere they just do the head, even though that is technically an option. Um, And then sometimes people, some people do go to the coroner and it's very obvious why they died, Um, like gunshot wounds. Right. But they still have to at least open them. But often I've seen about two where it's, okay, obviously this person died from a gunshot wound. Right to the, the to the head. We don't need to open up their body, but legally we have to for the investigation. It's part of the case. Sure. Yeah, so they'll open up the skin and then they'll just leave it. They don't remove any of the organs. Okay. Which technically the official word is viscera. Viscera? Viscera. Oh. Yes. That is the official like you get your viscera bag. Okay, so when so if you are so there's a county mort- mortician, right? Or there no, are uh, there's a county coroner. Yes, there are four of them. Okay. Because it's an elected position. Oh, really? Yeah. No, anybody can be a coroner. It's just you have to have the equipment right. to take care of it if you are coroner. So that's why it's most often funeral directors because who else has gurneys? So you can't just walk off the street and say I'm going to run for coroner. I mean, right. you technically can. Don't do that. No, please. Because then it will be your responsibility <laughs> to get a cop, to get a removal van, to file a lot of paperwork which you have to file with the county yep. um most people go into it not realizing that there are very detailed like coroner's reports that have to be filed with the county clerk you if, do your paperwork <laughs> <laughs> but but if, but if someone passes let's say that there was a a car accident and um and i'm, I'm trying to exp- talk about this without going into uh, you know gruesome details but if, if there's a car accident mm-hmm. and there's not an obvious reason why there was a car accident like it wasn't just a head-on collision or it wasn't a hit a deer um would the 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 county coroner have to come in and then are they the ones that do they would take the deceased to the nearest medical examiner okay so they're yeah. not the medical examiners. Medi- no okay. medical examiners are medical doctors right who have specialized in post-mortem examinations okay now now who is that for like a jones is there isn't one there isn't one the nearest medical examiner is an olean really yes so do you have to does do the authorities transfer the body or the coroner does the coroner transfers and technically in theory it is the coroner's job to then go pick that person back up from the medical examiner whenever they have concluded their examination and drop them off the funeral home okay granted because of the distance and because um the coroners are all funeral directors. It's a, the hospital will finish and then the funeral home is called and then we will go get them because, I mean, that is technically also part of our, our services that we go and we will, it's called transfer of remains okay. to pick up the deceased. Yep. Granted, um, 
if the coroner does bring somebody to us, we don't charge for the transfer of remains because we did not actually perform that service ourselves. So therefore, we do not charge for it because we did not do it. Okay. Um, so if someone from another, and um, this is just a general question. Okay. Um, not a political question. So if someone from another another funeral home is called mm-hmm. that that night, uh, and but the family wants the the funeral to be held at let's Emsers, mm-hmm. right? Does that even though they were the coroner, they can still bring it to whatever funeral home the family wants or or the deceased wants? Or? They are supposed to because in theory, um, because this is an unfortunate side effect that every single coroner, at least in our county, is a funeral director. And I don't mean anything by that. Yeah. It's just we're, it's, you are not supposed to really mention that you are a funeral director at a coroner's case. Okay. Granted, I feel as though there are some instances where if you get into this field, you obviously want to help to some extent. Right. So there is that natural tendency to look and say, well, listen, I know that this is a very unexpected time. Let me help you. Sure. But as coroner, you're not supposed to do that. Okay. It's supposed to be, do you know which funeral home you would like to select? Here are the options. If you if, like, if they say, I don't know, I have completely no idea, you're supposed to say, okay, lo- locally, these funeral homes are available. Okay. Who have you gone to in the past? Like, there's supposed to be a little bit more probing questions to try to figure out, um... Because the coroner and funeral being a funeral home, being associated with a funeral home, are supposed to be two separate fields. Okay. It's just there happens to be a lot of crossover, especially when there's uncertainty. Um, because there is this that natural tendency to say, well, let me help you. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, and then, it, so if a family has no idea what the deceased wished or they mm-hmm. have are indifferent about wherever the deceased is, is brought to, um, would the coroner then just... I'd assume they would just take it to their... In theory, they're supposed to say, I need an answer. Okay. Yeah. It, it's a, you You need to tell me which funeral home that so you have selected. So they give like a list and like say which they one. They should, yes. Okay. okay. Um, so when the body of the deceased gets to you, mm-hmm. uh, let's just say they, they come to they come to Emerson's funeral home, they get to you, What happen, what's the next step there? Okay. So going back to that, the very gently asking, do you know which way you're leaning? Yep. Um, if they're going to be cremated, um, something that we do at Emsers, which I don't know how many other funeral homes do this, I doubt very many, we will offer, does anybody want to see them? And before. we don't, before we go yeah. to the crematorium, and we mean like immediate family, we don't right. need half the village in right. the funeral home. But <laughs> I, I would like to see this person, please. <laughs> we will offer that for free, and we'll um, make sure that they look comfortable and at peace. We're right. not just going to like throw them in a box and say, okay, take a peek. Right. That's that. No, but we will, we call it, generally we'll say, well, we'll clean them up a little bit, but sometimes people take offense to that because it's like, well, what are you saying that we didn't keep them clean? It's like, no, it's just trying right. to gently say we're going to make them not look as deceased. Right. <laughs> and now do the, do the, um, if they decide to go with a traditional, yes. Do they, do you request clothing or how does that work? So then if they're going to be the traditional funeral, then we get the ball rolling on embalming. Um, Walk me through that process. Okay. So how detailed do we want? We can, we can, we can go into it. It's fine. Okay. So the first step of embalming is to set the features, which basically just means, um, first of all, disinfecting a person because um, even if they were the most OCD clean person, they have now died. Right. There are pathogens that are going to start building sure. um, because death. So we have this, it's called dis spray. It's disinfectant spray, dis spray. Right. Um, it's bright blue, so we call it blue juice. Okay. So all orifices need to be sprayed with blue juice. And then we will put in eye caps, which are basically just pla- like thicker plastic contacts. Yep. And um, trick of the trade is put a little bit of, it's called massage cream. It's basically cold cream. Um, underneath the eye cap just to add that extra layer of moisture okay because after um, death the eyes will do the fish eye look where they'll eventually lose their retention and the iris and the retinas will start sinking not the eyeball eyeball but because if you look at an eye it's not a perfect circle there's right and there's the, the the eye and then there's like the lenses on top sure those lenses will start since they will they're losing their retention they'll start sinking a little bit okay and Technically, rigor mortis starts in the eyes. Really? Yes. And it, so, because, okay, we also need to go into rigor because um, 
the more muscle, because so this is why bio 150 was part of the course. Well, <laughs> bio 101 was part of the coursework. So rigor mortis is actually the effect of, well, do you remember how the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? I do. Right? Mm-hmm. Well, it pre- because it produces ATP, okay. which is adenine triphosphate, ATP. Yeah. Well, ATP is not naturally occurring. It wants to be ADP, which is the diphosphate, not the triphosphate. So it starts breaking apart after death because the protein, the, the, the mitochondrial, the mitochondria are not doing their job anymore, sure. obviously. And so they want to break apart, but ATP breaking apart into ADP is why you're able to move your muscles, why you're able to do, move your body anyway. Like it, it's literally the energy. Right. That is why the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. And so since ATP is not its natural state and it wants to be ADP, it starts breaking apart regardless. Okay. So that's why like there's all those rumors about how like, oh, well, you know, uh, Johnny used to work in the morgue to help clean up. And then one night a body sat up. Has that happened? While technically possible, it is so highly improbable because it would require every single ATP breaking apart in the abdomen at the same time. Oh, sorry. Breaking apart at the same time in order to cause all the abdominal muscles to contract while not somehow also the back muscles not doing any, like contracting. Right. So it is technically possible, but it, it, it would be a one in one billion chance of it ever actually physically happening. Wow. Yeah. Um, no, that's not to say, cause I've never seen anybody move after they've deceased. Um, make like, knocking the, the death rattle yep. that has happened. Um, passing gas that has also happened. I imagine that would happen. That would be yes. the most common. Yeah. And, and that's another misconception where people are like, Oh, well, you know, after you die, you, you defecate. No, not everybody. Some people do. Yes. But right. not everybody. Okay. It's not because like, yes, the muscles relax, but if there's nothing to let out, like when the muscles relax, nothing happens. Sure. But, um, so going back to the rigor process, um, ADP and ATP breaking apart um, causes the, the peptide bonds and the proteins to interlock. Okay. Um, wait, no, sorry. Let me backtrack. That is what the formaldehyde does. It causes the proteins to interlock so they can't keep breaking apart because the ATP wants to break apart and become ADP. Right. Um, so rigor is only affects muscles. Mm-hmm. And it starts in the eyes and works its way out through the body. And so it's like a little graph that goes up. So say it takes five hours to get into full rigor, then you'll spend five hours in full rigor, take five hours to get out of rigor. Okay. And that time allotment is different for everybody, but it will always be three equal increments. Um, granted, rigor can be broken by external forces. So say somebody's arm is rigored up like this, you can physically pull it out and that will help break up that ADP8. So it's just essentially rigor mortis is a stiff body. Yeah, rigor mortis is, yes, the 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 classic stiff. Yeah. Um, but it's also just muscles contracting because ATP is breaking down into ADP. Okay. Now, the reason why we use formaldehyde for embalming is because it causes the peptide bonds in these proteins to cross-link so they can't break apart. Granted, fun fact, water can actually reverse the effects of um, formaldehyde. So that's why officially when people are like, well, embalming lasts forever, right? Yeah. No. Because the moment moisture is introduced, it will start reversing the effects of formaldehyde. Embalming works long enough to maintain the person for the funeral process is okay. the official answer. And how do you go about with embalming the deceased? So first step is setting the features. Okay. Um, putting in the eye cap. Well, first disinfecting, yeah. putting in the eye caps. Um, and why then, it, might be an off topic question, but okay. why does it, we might have not gotten there yet, but why does it always seem like the deceased is, has their arms crossed? Okay, so yeah, we never cross their arms. That's just we, in the movies. Yes, that's just in the movies. We norm, it. So this is also a regional cultural thing. Um, up here in the East Coast, it is common to cross people's hands, yep. uh, right over left, place it on their stomach, so they just look like they're peacefully laying there. Okay. In the South, arms are straight at their sides. Interesting. And also here in on the East Coast... Um, we do, it's called a half couch casket where the foot of the lid is closed and the right. top, that's, but. That's normal to me. That's a, Yeah, that's exactly. That's what you see mostly in media. But 
that's called a half couch. There are full couch caskets where the whole lid is one giant piece that really? either opens or closes. Yes. So there are some uh, like areas that don't really get depicted in media often that they have full couches so you see the person from head to toe. It's so interesting that I never... I mean, I guess, luckily, I haven't been to enough funerals, but I I always just assume that in my mind, my mind may autocorrect even. Just yeah, because that's that that's what you see in media. That their, their arms are mm-hmm. crossed, yeah. Interesting. Okay, go back to embalming, sorry. Okay, so <laughs> features are set, and then the next step is to do the arterial work, which basically means we're going to break skin and find a vein-artery combo raise them because turns out your arteries are very stretchy um, when they don't have the fascia, fascia, fast, fast. It starts with an F. Um, I do too much reading of the words to like pronounce it sometimes Um, that basically hold it in place and normal. And it's just that thin, like, you know, when you have a hard boiled egg Yep. and there's that little thin membrane that's like, I do actually. Yeah. Um, So your arteries are covered in them, right? That hold basically everything in place. That's why things don't really move around. Um, but still have that the flexibility that they need in order to do the life processes. Right. So when you get that little fascia off, um, arteries are very stretchy. But n- yes and no. Like I don't want to make people think that they're like rubber bands. So you but inject you can, it. Yes, we inject arterial. Through, through like an IV or? No. So we would, okay, so there's six main points that we would go for. Either one of your carotids. Okay. One of your brachials, which is in your armpit. So you're looking for the big. Yeah, and or one of your femorals. Okay. So we'll raise both an artery and a vein. Um, Some embalmers like to do split injections where you'll raise an artery in one location and a vein in another. Um, So there is some dissecting that you're doing. Yeah, there is a little bit of this. Yes, but it's not like we're cracking somebody open and taking all their organs. organs. That's that's an autopsy. Because I did think that you did that. No. I thought that the funeral directors did that. Nope. We deal with the aftermath of it but we don't do it okay um which an autopsy embalming is a, it's a lot of work right and that's a whole other whole ball other game. animal but in the average embalming so um we'll pick a location carotids are very popular femorals are very popular typically you only do brachial if the arm did not last resort no, that the last resort is to because so basically brachial is oh this arm didn't do well, right. and then there are the radial and ulnar um, vein, uh, arteries. Yep, the only ones I'm good at finding, <laughs> <laughs> the ones that I've literally never seen used. Okay, ever only we learned it in school. The only one I'm good at finding, huh? Because <laughs> I will admit I do struggle with finding the different vessels. Right, it's a learning curve. Um, well, I mean you're theory, still new at. Yeah, so. I mean, in theory, you're not a um, experienced embalmer until you've done at least 100 embalmings. Okay. Quote, unquote. I mean... How many are you at right now? I don't know. Wow. So you've lost count already then. I mean, it's one of those things where it's... Eh, right. Eh, I, I, did, I did the ones I had two for school, and so that was 15, because you have to do five during... Well, no, 15 plus 10. So I'm at like 20, 25... By the time I graduated. Okay. And then after that, I didn't necessarily keep track, keep track. just because it's... So is it a syringe that you no. use? No. So there's an, a machine. Oh, um, it's a machine? Yes. Okay. That you can set pressure, rate of flow. Um, it's basically a holding tank that we mix the chemicals in. Yep. And then it injects. There's at the rate of flow that you set and the pressure you set. And then there is... The third option is... So there's the little dial that's off, mix... To, so that, that has nothing to do, like it, it stays within the machine and then there's pulse because some you know, some embalmers prefer that because it replicates the how blood would go through the system and then there's direct, which is just a constant stream. Okay. And what it, and another question. Okay. Uh, and this might have already been answered, but when you pass mm-hmm. um, and you just pass normally uh, or, or let's say pass in a bed somewhere. Okay. What happens to, is there still blood in the body? Yes. Or, yeah. Oh, there is. Okay. Yeah. Um, so this is where we get into lividity and so your arteries are pressurized right. by your heart and your circulatory system. Mm-hmm. Your veins are not. That's why veins have valves. Okay. And why like varicose veins happen because the valves start, but like they, they, the valve will not work, which in a vein, there's thousands of valves. So if one valve in a vein does not work, 
oh well, it says there'll be more blood and then as varicose veins, like more uh, valves start breaking out, the um, veins will start twisting and when they twist, they raise up to the surface. So that's what causes varicose veins. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, because the veins are not meant to be pressurized. Right. Start taking out the valves. They need a little bit more pressure to get the blood going and so they start twisting to try to make the 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 road shorter, but I mean, right. a vein is not going to like shrink. Um, okay, so you've done the you've done the embalming with the machine. Yes. Um, I did. I had a friend because I I mentioned that you're going to be coming in today, and I have a friend that watches. Um, there's this beautician that uh, goes live every Thursday or whatever, and they're painting the nails of of the deceased. <laughs> so she's a, I imagine a funeral director. Um, but she she does like mm-hmm. nail painting and stuff. So do you do all that as well? You have to yes. get makeup and yes. Okay. So um and then and how far how far would that be after the embalming process? Okay. So I will finish answering the the blood question. Oh yeah. Yeah. So your arteries are pressurized, but after death, obviously, there the pressure's not there anymore. Yep. So um the blood will start sinking to the lowest point. Okay. If somebody's on their back, it'll sink into their back. If somebody dies on the toilet falls and is laying like this, yep. it's going to start pooling at the lowest point. Okay. Um, and then if it stays within the circulatory system, you can clear it. Right. But blood will seep out of the circulatory system because the circulatory system, it has a lot, it, it's, in order to transfer nutrients, in order to transfer oxygen, obviously the circulatory system is not a closed, closed system. Sure. Um, it's, and as the blood starts seeping out, then it becomes post-mortem stain. Okay. Um, the only way to truly get rid of that is to technically try to bleach it out. Um, and I don't necessarily mean with bleach, but like the right. concept of bleaching it out. Um, honestly, depending on how bad it is at that point, it's just easier to cover with makeup because it's okay. like a, if, if, if it's a bruise, essentially. Right. And you're not a bruise. The If it's stained, it's not going to clear via arterial embalming. Mm-hmm. So it's just at that point you you're stuck with it right and you have to deal with it whether it's via makeup and or you can technically it's called hypoinjecting which would be a syringe yep where you have to pierce the skin and then inject a fluid specifically into one spot okay um so yeah blood sinks and then <laughs> so we finish the arterial part um we'll inject via an artery and we'll open the vein to allow drainage okay and then after that, you come into the issue of, so we've gotten the circulatory system cleared. And hopefully, in theory, as long as you haven't overdone your formaldehyde concentration, because there is a thing called shell embalming, okay. where you have your concentration so high that you accidentally embalm just the circulatory system, and you've like embalmed it and caused it to wall off. So the circulatory system is embalmed, but nothing else. Okay. And that's why it's like, well, I don't understand. I embalmed. It's like, yeah, but you, you overhit them with the formaldehyde <laughs> and concentration and or glutaraldehyde because um, that's an alternative to formaldehyde, uh, which is it's just formaldehyde with one extra carbon. Okay. And so it, it, it's that's shell embalming because in theory, the embalming fluid should also seep out through the circulatory system and okay. reach all the muscles because, um, again, that's that's the goal. Embalming only affects the muscular tissue. Right. Um, which is the obviously the majority of a body. Right. But now we're getting into the area of the cavity work after the arterial work because if you think about it, your stomach has acid in it. That's not part of your circulatory system. And right. so all the hollow organs, the hollow viscera, need to be drained because that fluid will cause, well, not only add that moisture, but then also cause decomposition right um so there's it's called a trocar it's basically a giant needle that's about 18 inches long jesus yeah and about the diameter's about that uh about that and so it has to be pierced through the abdomen and then it yeah it's it sucks the fluid out that was left behind um or technically all the blood that is within the heart even though we just did the circulatory system, there's still going to be fluid within the heart because it yeah. is an open chamber. You have must have one of the strongest guts. <laughs> <that there is. laughs> and I have yet to puke. 
Oh my goodness, just thinking about it. There's been a couple times where I got close, but I have yet to puke. Okay, so you got all the fluids out. Mm-hmm. You've done the embalming. What's yes. the next step? So we, in the cavity work, we've used the trocar to get the fluid out. Yep. Then we're going to inject cavity fluid in to basically replace where that fluid was. Okay. It's extremely concentrated. You cannot put it through your embalming machine. Otherwise, it will ruin your machine because yeah. it's... And is that to stop from like the stomach sinking or... No, it's, it's not that much fluid. It's just okay. to help preserve the areas that were not touched by the arterial. And this is just long enough to... Yeah, because in theory, embalming is only technically supposed to be long enough to get somebody through the funeral process. Right. Granted, there are some good embalmings where the person is going to last a very long time, and then there's some poor embalmings where they barely make it through the funeral process because it's just some people take it well, some people don't, um, depending on what the circumstances leading up to their death were. Uh, There's such a thing as gas gangrene, which dealing with that after somebody has passed. (laughs) Uh, The old textbooks say that the only way to handle it is to get a Ziegler case, which is a metal ceiling case that goes inside a casket. Oh, geez. Yeah, um, because gas gangrene is, believe it or not, a little bit smelly because it's gas. And it is a beast that most funeral directors do not see, and it works fast. Like once somebody has contracted gas gangrene it it's downhill from there <laughs> and if any of your equipment has any chips in the um the chrome yep will infect every single body it touches after that oh my and gosh. the only way to truly sanitize that piece of uh, equipment is with an autoclave and even then sometimes it doesn't help um so yeah it, it, it's it's a bear that nobody wants to tackle because it's just gas green green is a nightmare um, fun fact. <laughs> so from start to finish. Okay. How long is the process? Like an average, on a, a, an, an average deceased body from start so, to finish. How long is the process? For somebody who is quick with their embalming about an hour. Okay. Oh, so, so from, from when you start working with the body mm-hmm. to when they're funeral ready, it's about an hour. Once their embalming is done. So okay. about an hour. Yes. Okay. And then. We get into the fact that, so some people use active dye embalming fluids, which carry an active dye that will yeah. that will provide color. Um, I have found that using active dye is not that, it's not the fail-safe that a lot of people think it is because sometimes it can end up being blotchy because you just, you don't, you can't control the distribution of the dye. Right. Um, so then we start getting into the makeup zone because if you think about it, you have blood in every part of your body at all times. And that's what gives people the rosy look. Right. And so once they've, um, once that blood is gone, people are extremely pale. So we need to revive that a little bit. And so it's not like it's a full, we're going to do a whole, like beat somebody's face. That's like the makeup expression, beat somebody's face. I gotcha. Um, with, like foundations and concealers and contouring. I can't even contour my own <laughs> face. I'm not contouring somebody else's. <laughs> but we it's called um, light wash, which is essentially, it's just like a, a, a pink little fluid. It looks a little Pepto-Bismol-y. Yep. Um, not that thick. And just a quick brush of it kind of revitalizes the, the lack of blood okay. it, by adding that little pink layer. And then... Um, with makeup, we add a little bit of color back to the cheeks because there are uh, some funeral homes that they don't ever really master that makeup process. So you look at somebody and go, they look like they have makeup on. Right. The goal is to not have it be that, but also provide those colorings back to the face. Um, mm-hmm. Lips drain of all colors, so we have to put lip color on everybody. Um, cheek color back on everybody. But after that, typically we kind of stop. Um, Uh I like to make sure that like, luckily we have not had that many young women. So it's not like I'm okay. We're going to be doing winged eyeliner on anybody. Right. Um, but there have been, um, I've noticed a lot with, uh, older women that they, their eyebrows tend to thin out. So I have gotten pretty okay adding eyebrows back on. (laughs) Um, and by that adding it back on, I mean, I just have an eyebrow pencil that I like thicken up. Not thickening, but like I, I provide more color to what is already there, just because it's you know, 
they should look nice. Have uh, have John and Walter just kind of left the uh, the makeup no. person on everybody? See, oh, they no, do. No, they no, still no. Do? Yes, they. Um, I mean, granted, I do a lot of it, yeah. <laughs> especially since John had been out for a little bit now because of his heart, uh, his valve replacement. Right. But in general, it's it's pretty well divided. They okay. they know what they're doing. Wow. Oh yeah. yeah. And they I still mean, do. They, I, I know, but like they they know what they're doing and they still do it. It, okay. it hasn't been. Uh, well, you're you're the female now. You get to do it. That's not the case. We're it's it's pretty well divided. Okay. Um, and then after that, you you put the clothes on that yep. the family wishes, mm-hmm. and then funeral happens. Yeah. So. Uh, we have we have a we have a little bit of time left. Oh, um, okay. I know that. Sorry. <laughs> it goes fast, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> uh, don't be sorry. Uh, this was very educational for me, and I'm sure anybody listening. Um, but what in a quick synopsis? What is one um, or quick answer? Sorry. What is one? What is the biggest misconception um, that you deal with on a regular basis when uh. people think of funeral homes? I ah, that's such a broad question because there's so many things I can think of. Um, what you see in TV is not real, right? Uh, <laughs> even yeah, even the show um, Six Feet Under, which is has some aspects that are really really accurate. There are other parts where I'm just like, what are they talking about? Right. So what you see in the media isn't necessarily real. There, depending on the adaptation, there are some pretty real aspects, but a lot of it gets it wrong. Okay. Um, I think was it BuzzFeed? I know that there on YouTube there's um, uh, his I don't remember his first name but his last name is Sweeney. It's like we spent the day with a funeral director, so it might be a Vanity Fair, I think. Right. Um, and there's a video where he goes through I, Victor Sweeney. There we go, because like he is the the fun version of whatever you like. If you think of a funeral director, yep. like what you would assume, because that's another massive misconception that all funeral directors are these like lurchy looking like weirdos yeah <laughs> um and morticia not even Morticia. like people are thinking genuinely of lurch oh wow like the, the <laughs> these are adam's guy. family characters yes by the way. like the creepy guy who's just standing <laughs> in the corner who's like super pale super yeah. old has like really not like unnaturally dark hair for their coloring who's just kind of like Yes. Bring, Hello. Bring your deceased yes. to me. I will take care of the <laughs> body. Like, yeah. So a lot of people think of, that's the first thought they think of when they think of a funeral director. Um, and even, I, I don't know necessarily if you say funeral director, but if you say like a mortician or an undertaker. They're, right. I mean, obviously there are people who are going to think of the wrestler when you say the undertaker. In a certain age bracket, for yes. sure. <laughs> I am in that age bracket. <laughs> and... um. And there are a couple of funeral directors who want to be called undertakers because it is, it's like we, we do the undertaking of taking care yeah. of this. But, um, I mean, for me, it's all tomato, tomato, funeral director, undertaker, mortician. But so going back to the actual question, the massive misconceptions, what you see on media is not necessarily real. Depending on the media, there are some pretty true aspects. Um, but what I've noticed is that everybody assumes that they walk in and they have to have a cookie cutter. Right. Um, that, well, this is just the way it's done or that they're stuck with this. And it's like, you know, you can ask, like, what what is going to help you? What do you need? What do you want? Verbalize it. And I know that's a, a very big ask, especially when people are at the point that they need our services. Right. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of confusion. It's just, you, it's almost like uh, shell shock. Yeah. Which I know is technically like an old... The, the, is it beneficial um, as you're aging? Is it beneficial to talk to your funeral director that you want? Yes. Uh, as, as a predeceased, <laughs> <laughs> an alive, we'll call them. Yes. But no, is it is it beneficial? Let's say that I'm, you know, I'm 85 years old. Okay. And I know that, you know, I'm my body is slowing down. Mm-hmm. Is it beneficial to come in? Uh, kind of like a will, and just talk to the funeral director director of the options and exactly what you want, um, so that way your family just yeah, they, they so don't have to do it. They know that is another big thing that most people don't realize is that you can do prearrangements. That's the official term. Um, that you can come in and say, "This is what I want." You can even prepay, and that's another misconception about people who do know about prearrangements. You don't have to prepay to put something on paper. Right. Um, 
granted, yes, we will gladly accept whatever you want and we will put it into a CD and or some type of trust account because that's another thing where if you come in and prepay, we're not going to take your money and put it in our bank account. No, it goes into – we. what we prefer is a CD, which is a certificate of deposit. Right. So the money stays in your social security number. It's just in trust of so that way – say you move down to Florida and you want to go to a funeral home down there, you still have this money. You just pass it on down. You just have to transfer it to a different funeral home. Okay. Um, I'm going to be making my kids pay for everything. <laughs> I'm paying for so many of their things right now. <laughs> um, so before we go, okay. this, this, yes. this yeah, I mean, ninja, I'm ninja sh- turtle looking, okay. <laughs> just because of the... The goal was Wolverine. Oh, let's be honest. Wolverine. Yes, with yeah. the claws. That was the goal. Got it. That was the vibe. I Got, I, because you had a Ninja Turtle backpack. Yeah, so okay, I, don't yeah. I, went to there. I, I love Raphael. Ninja Turtles. Yeah. So, um, yeah, okay. So uh, another thing is I'm also a, a business owner, technically. Okay. Uh, I have Babob Craft. It's, I I crochet way too much. Um, and you can, you only need so many crocheted things for yourself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so um, there's that. And then I also just enjoy crafting in general. That's why it's not Babob Crochet. Um or anything like that. It's Bob Craft because I, I like to crochet. Yep. I started getting into beading. I really, really liked that. Ah. Um, I eventually want to get into stained glass just because I, I just love stained glass. Um, Do you have an Etsy account or where can people? No. Your- so I right now I'm only so far on Instagram. Okay. And I have an email which is bobcraft 9 at gmail.com. Um, oh, you really do like nine. Yes, no, nine's my lucky number. You're the ninth episode. Yes, I know. I was so excited. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they can go to your Instagram. They can go to your yes, website. Which is, just, yeah, Instagram's just Bobcraft. Um, I can leave one of my business cards so you can pull the information off that, put it in the episode description. Yeah, I'll put it on the episode description. Um, yeah, because I, I crochet, if you want to reach out, uh, I'm in talks with a couple of local businesses to have my stuff in their gift shop so that way yeah. it can be found locally. Um, you should talk to Katie at the shop. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure that we could have talked for four more hours about yeah. every little detail that goes into it. But I think this was a good synopsis of everything. Yeah. And um, happy Halloween. Happy Hall- I was going to say, thanks for having me. Uh, next Halloween, part two. I know. This is the <laughs> Halloween episode, by the way. <laughs> and then, um, um, yeah. I mean, I can always come back and we can talk more about because we didn't get into like the official licensing part of it and the nope. like the more of the schooling which i know i got sidetracked it's just there's a lot there's a lot over yeah but so. i think you did a good job oh thank you and thank you for coming about oh, thanks for having me